So I want every one of my relationships to be toxic, completely toxic. Uh, said no one ever. <laughs> no one's ever gonna make a statement like that. That's not a t-shirt you're gonna see for sale. Uh, that's not something that uh, people are going to be really uh, espousing that type of mentality, that type of mindset. We all want healthy relationships. Everybody wants healthy relationships. That's who we are, that's what we want. Uh, that's why when we label one of our highest values as a church, which are new stories, strong families, healthy relationships, and an outward focus, and that's what we're working through in this series that we're calling DNA, where we find out really who we are on the inside, what makes Trilogy Trilogy, but one of those is healthy relationships. And when that's one of the highest values that we have as a church, we need to clarify what we mean. Because it's kind of a duh moment. I mean, we all want healthy relationships. We understand that. But what is a healthy relationship? That may look completely different to you as it does to someone else. We have to really work through and wrestle through our definitions of what it means to have healthy relationships, to be in a healthy relationship. We wanna know what that means. And the relationships that we have in our lives are critical and they can propel us to the top of the mountain or they can send us crashing down into the deepest valley and they can keep us anchored in the middle of the strongest storms that life can send our way or they can be the source of hurricane force winds that bring destruction. So, I mean, our relationships are going to have an impact on our lives one way or the other. And if you've been around churches or any organization, really, with lots of people, for that matter, you've seen it all. You've seen every kind of relationship. Healthy, life-giving relationships, toxic, destructive relationships, and everything in between. In fact, that same relationship can be one of those, and then a week later, be completely the opposite. For most people, though, they define a healthy relationship as one that makes me feel good with no problems. I mean, that's really how people define a healthy relationship. If they don't mess up my life, then it's a healthy relationship. And we can also go down a personal list of things that make relationships unhealthy in our minds. Things like conflict, cliques, selfishness, gossip, codependency, and really a laundry list of things that we can come up with that we would say make a relationship unhealthy. And while some of those things I just mentioned can be unhealthy, and some of those always are unhealthy uh, in a relationship, if we're going to define what a healthy relationship is for us as a church family specifically, because that's really what we're talking about here, we can't rely on personal feelings and we can't rely on experiences. That's not where we as followers of Jesus need to draw our authority is from personal experience. If we start doing that, we're going to be in a heap of trouble really quickly. If everybody defines what is right and what is wrong based on our personal preference and experience. Uh, we can't have a forum and come to a consensus. There's only one way to define what a healthy relationship is, and that is we need to look at the Word of God. That's our source for truth. That's our source for guidance in this life. And so we want to look at what Scripture teaches us with regard to a healthy relationship. The Bible tells us and gives us incredible examples of what healthy relationships are and what they should look like. Uh, so for a few minutes this morning, that's what I want to look at together 
is let's define and let's lean into what a healthy relationship is. And the first thing I want you to see is that the Bible ranks healthy relationships as the most important thing in life. Healthy relationships is the most important thing in our entire lives. Uh, a Jewish religious expert once asked Jesus a question. And he asked this in Matthew 22, verse 36, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus heard this question, and he gave him this answer in the following verses. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about a relationship your relationship with God. Then he continued, a second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what, what's he talking about there? He's talking about more relationships. Healthy relationships, Jesus himself said, is the most important thing that we can have in our lives. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. It all comes down to relationships. What does? Everything, everything God wants from us, everything we experience, everything God wants for us, eternity, it all centers on relationships. A healthy, loving relationship with God is of first importance, but healthy, relation, healthy loving relationships with others is right there. The Bible is all about these two important relationships. In fact, if you look at that Matthew verse, it says a second, second, now it does place it second, but it says a second is equally important. So Jesus did not diminish our relationship with one another. In fact, our relationships with one another will indicate where we are at in our relationship with God. And the Bible is all about these two important relationships. Now we can pretty easily identify things when it comes to unhealthy relationships. That's not too hard to pick out when there are unhealthy relationships. We're quick to point out what someone else brought into a relationship that made it unhealthy. We get it. But if we look at the Bible, it doesn't have a ton to say about what others do. The Bible doesn't say, hey, this person did this and this person did this. No, the Bible instead, when it comes to our relationships, the Bible focuses on the person looking back at you from the mirror. The Bible focuses on you. And so if we look at a verse like Romans 12, verse 18, it says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Paul is placing a lot of responsibility on me. He's placing responsibility on you. Do everything that you can to live in peace with everyone. Colossians 3, 12 and 13 says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. There's a ton of things the Bible teaches us about relationships, but the overwhelming majority of it is, who do you need to be? How do you need to treat other people? What is your responsibility in this equation of healthy relationships? As far as the Bible is concerned, you're responsible for your relationships. 
You are responsible for your relationships. It doesn't mean your relationships are all going to be perfect. Far from it. But we need to do everything that we can to bring health and life and love to our relationships. At least as far as it goes from our side of the table. We need to make sure that that's what we're bringing. And there's lots of good stuff in this this last passage in, in Colossians uh, chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Tons of attributes that we're to focus on, mercy, kindness, uh, humility, gentleness, patience, all these kinds of things are represented there. But the end of that passage really hits home for us. Remember what Jesus did. Paul said, remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And there's a really important principle that Paul is bringing to the front here. And that is that Jesus sets the example for us in everything, even in this area of healthy relationships. Jesus demonstrated to us what this is going to look like. In fact, the way that God treats us is the basis for our treatment of others. Now think about that. The way that God treats you should be the foundation, should be the basis for how you treat others. So what, what does that say? Well, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believeth in him. So what did God do? He gave. The first thing he did was he gave. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus was willing to give his life, to lay down his life for people who had not yet professed allegiance to him, who did not express faith in him. He gave his life for us while we were still sinners. Are you willing to lay down your life? Are you willing to give sacrificially? Are you willing to give first? Are you willing to be that person who is willing to lay their life on the line and give everything they can to make sure someone else succeeds, to make sure someone else feels good, to make sure someone else feels love, even though they're bringing hostility into the relationship, even though they're gossiping about you, even though they're treating you unfairly? The way that God treats us is the foundation for how we are to treat other people. And Jesus' example in scripture is who we are to pattern our relationships after. And so I want to give you some lessons from the relationships of Jesus. If we look at Jesus' relationships in the Gospels, what can we take away from that? What can we learn? And how can we apply that to our relationships with one another? As we talk about relationships, there's all sorts of ranges in there, right? There's the person you see every day at Starbucks when you get your morning coffee. That's a relationship. It's not an intimate relationship. It's not a close relationship, but it's there. They warrant a head nod from you when you see them. You know, they're there. Now, side note, and I, I think I've, I've said this before, but there, there's some scientific uh, uh, background into the head nod. I, I know that's crazy, but there are scientists who have studied the head nod. And there's two types of head nod. You know, when you see some people, you greet them with a head nod like that. And there's other people, you greet them with a head nod like that. And you go up or you go down. And what scientists have found is that if it is somebody you're familiar with, you know uh, you're going to go up with the head nod. And if it's somebody you don't know, you're just kind of passing and you want to acknowledge their existence while you're waiting for the elevator, you go like this and you go down. Why? Because when you go up, you're exposing your throat. And there's a, there's this this vulnerability that takes place. I don't know if it's true, but now you're gonna be thinking about it. Did I just nod up or did I nod down? Let that get in your head. Okay, 
And then there are, you know, that's one type of relationship. Then there's the people you work with. There, there, then there are family relationships. There are distant family and there's immediate family. There's that crazy Uncle Drew, you know, that people in your family don't like to talk about. Uh, there, there are people you see at church. There are the friends that you hang out with. There are some that you share details of your life with. There's someone you share everything with. There's all sorts of ranges to these things we call relationships. And the spectrum is all over the map. And some of these relationships are what they are. I mean, you don't choose your coworkers unless you're, you run the company, then you do get to choose your coworkers. But you don't choose your family. You know, that your family is who they are. But we do have some measure of control over who we allow into our lives in a lot of cases. And so what I want you to see, the first lesson from the life of Jesus with regard to his relationships is this. Jesus chose those closest to him with intentionality. Jesus chose those closest to him with intentionality. He was incredibly intentional about who he was close to. Some of us might think that we are too, but here's the key differentiator. His reasoning was very different than most people in our culture would use when we choose those people who are closest to us. Didn't, Jesus did not choose to be close to people to make him popular. And Jesus didn't choose to be close to certain people because they made him feel good. And what I did right there is describe the two primary reasons that people choose to get close to people. Either because of the status it gives them, the, the crowd that, or the access that it gives them to others, or because they make them feel good about themselves. These are the two primary reasons people select friends in our culture today. And Jesus chose those who were close to him to accomplish his mission, to see God's will done. That's why Jesus chose the people that he chose. For our purposes, here's what we can take away from that. A healthy relationship is someone you feel helps you become all God has created you to be. Let me say that again. A healthy relationship is someone you feel helps you become all God has created you to be. They're going to lift you up. They're going to propel you forward. They're going to cause you to live into God's plan for your life. And it's okay to be picky with those who are closest to you. That's all right. That's not wrong. That's not mean. That's biblical. It's incredibly important. You show me your friends and I'll show you the direction your life is going to go. They are the primary influencers in your life. Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise, associate with fools and get in trouble. And some of you are like screaming a big amen, at least on the inside, because you've lived this verse. And so I want you to understand, and this, this is not my notes, but I've touched on this before, but I think it's so important. I, when I think of relationships, I have three circles that I draw in the center of that circle that, that we have outside is the circle of concern, okay? Uh, then we have the circle of influence inside that, and then in the very center we have the circle of intimacy. There's really only one person that should occupy that circle of intimacy. That is where you share every detail of your life, and that's your spouse. Only one person should occupy that circle of intimacy, and that's your spouse. And that's where people get into trouble relationally is by allowing people into that circle of intimacy that don't belong there. You start sharing things with somebody that you shouldn't be sharing and it can cause problems in your life. Then there's the circle of influence. 
Circle of influence is people that you allow to have input and direction into your life. They're influencing you. These are people that you really, you spend the majority of your time with is these people that are in that circle of influence and you're allowing them to be influencers and help to uh, give direction and correction to your life. Outside of that though is the circle of concern. And this is why I say you need to have friends who don't follow Jesus because these are the friends that you're concerned about, that you want to be an influence on their lives. You want to help them discover God's love for them. You want to help them discover God's plan for their lives. You want to be an influencer in their lives. So concern and then influence and then intimacy. So that's just a way to think about and categorize your relationships and maybe help you to understand a little better the, the spectrum involved with regard to your relationships. Um, and, and really, let me talk just for a brief minute about neighborhood groups. Um, man, you need to be a part of a neighborhood group. And some of you guys are, are joining with Pastor Ken online and part of our online group. We have another group that meets. We, we have a young adult group that's meeting now. And, and Hayden and Evie are giving leadership to that. And, and they're meeting every other week. And so we have different neighborhood groups that are taking place. But in our neighborhood groups, we're on mission together. I mean, this is not just warm fuzzies. It's not just to feel good about hanging out. Uh, but it's to sharpen one another. It's to grow one another, to support one another, to in encourage and speak life to one another. Uh, every one of us at Trilogy needs to be part of a neighborhood group. Uh, and this needs to be something you're praying about daily. Uh, who has God called you to lock arms with regularly to get done what he wants to accomplish through you? Uh, this is about the mission God has called you to because Jesus didn't pick his closest companions based on popularity or based on feel-goods. He chose those around him to get the job done so that he could be all that he was sent here to be. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And that verse applies incredibly well to our neighborhood groups, those pockets of people that you can do life together with. Choose to be around people who are going to motivate you to acts of love and good works. And while we're talking about neighborhood groups, I just want to let you know, we are in need of one or two more host homes who would say, hey, I'm willing to open up my home once a week and invite some other uh, couples in from Trilogy to, to do life together and to grow one another. And we're in need of one or two more group facilitators. And the way our groups are structured uh, the, the default is that I provide questions based on the message each week and you just lead your group through those questions. You don't have to come up with a discussion. You don't have to write your own questions. You don't have to, to prepare a study. All you need to do is lead the discussion from the message the Sunday before and I write the questions for you so you have those. And so if you would be willing to be a host home and open up your home for a group to meet in your house and you pick the day, uh, or if you would be willing to be a facilitator in somebody else's home, it could be that that same couple serves both roles that you facilitate and host it in your own home. But a lot of our groups uh, are operated over time have operated differently where one person facilitates in somebody else's home because somebody has the gift of hospitality, but they don't necessarily feel called to be that discussion facilitator. And we, we desperately need a couple more homes uh, to host our small group, our neighborhood groups so we can promote those and uh, start a few more groups because we've got some people that would love to be connected. We just don't have groups to place people in right now. And so if you're open for that, please, even if you're just like, man, 
I'm not sure, maybe. Talk to me. And I'm not going to twist your arm behind your back and say, okay, now that you talk to me, you definitely have to do this. But I'd love to answer any questions you might have and see if this might be something that God is calling you to do. This might be a powerful ministry that God wants to use you uh, to really connect some people and to help people feel like they're a part of the family. And really, that's all it entails. We, we, we eat a meal together, we talk about the message, and we pray together for one another's needs. And that meal is not on you. Most of our groups have always done like a potluck format. Everybody brings something. So it's, it's really not a ton. Uh, and if you're interested, please let me know. And we will, we will promote those groups right away and get those started and give you an opportunity to join a group if you're not in one already. Okay. Um, this next one on the list of lessons from the relationships with Jesus uh, is probably going to throw some of you for a loop. Uh, because in some ways, I think we've gotten to this place where we think, especially in the church, that we need to have kind of friendship communism, um, where everyone is equal. No one is greater than anyone else. And we all have to be the same and treat each other the same. And we're all best friends. And I just want you to know that's not real life. And that's not even biblical. Okay. Uh, and here is the lesson from the life of Jesus. Jesus had favorites. Jesus had favorites. There were levels to Jesus' relationships. And you say, wait a minute, pastor, is that, is that really okay? Listen to this. So in Jesus' life, first of all, there was the crowd. Okay, there was the crowd that followed Jesus around. Uh, he was around them on a regular basis. They followed him. He had groupies, if you will. Uh, he probably recognized and was familiar with some of them. Uh, as far as the crowd was concerned. He probably, he probably gave them the head nod. Knowing it was Jesus, he probably did the head up. Uh, but Jesus was familiar with them. Uh, so there was the crowd. Then there was his disciples. All right, There were not just 12 disciples. Uh, there were a lot more than 12 disciples. He had a larger number of disciples who followed him around in a ministry and learning capacity. Uh, he knew them more closely than he knew the crowd. These were, were closer to him. They were kind of an inner circle part of the crowd. And then there were the 12. The ones he called, the ones he chose, he picked them. They were his closest companions. They went through everything together. They did life together. This was Jesus' neighborhood group. Uh, we don't have a ton of personal moments shared in the Gospels. But they ate together, they traveled together, they did ministry together. You can imagine there were inside jokes, there were favorite pastimes, there were moments of getting on each other's nerves. All of that took place within the context of Jesus and the Twelve. So there were already a, a, even a, a smaller circle that he was involved with. And then within the Twelve, there were the three, Peter, James, and John. This was Jesus' inner circle. He gave them special attention. Uh, he called them to do things he didn't involve the others with. This, this was the insider club of the disciples. Listen to this in Mark 5.37. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John. Now, why did he do that? We don't know. Maybe the three of them just got him better. They understood Jesus. He related to them on a different level. Maybe they just clicked. Maybe they had higher potential than the others. 
The reasoning is not there. We just know that Jesus did it. He allowed those three to come with him and kept everybody else at a distance. And then there was the one, John. John was the one called the one who Jesus loved. Jesus was closer to John than he was to anyone else. In today's vernacular, Jesus and John were besties. Uh, John reclined next to Jesus at, at the meals. Jesus told John to take care of his mother, Mary, at the crucifixion. He, he looked at John and said, take care of her. Uh, Jesus paid him special honor and singled him out on several occasions. Now, with all these levels of relationships that Jesus had, you can imagine what that might have led to. Jesus was accused of having clicks. Jesus was, in, was accused of playing favorites. The disciples accused him of favoritism. There was jealousy. Yes, Jesus, God himself, accused of unhealthy relationships. This doesn't show dysfunction in Jesus, but in the rest of the disciples. It highlights their insecurity. It wasn't Jesus' problem. It wasn't Jesus' fault. It was the rest of the disciples who had insecurity issues they were wrestling through. It shows that they didn't understand that different levels of relationship is okay. It's expected. It's normal. Having people who are closer to you than others is not only okay, it's normal. Jesus did it. But here's the fundamental difference between what Jesus did and an unhealthy click. Jesus didn't keep people out. And here's what it comes down to. Having favorites is different than showing favoritism. Having favorites is different than showing favoritism. When our relationships get to the point where we are intentionally excluding others, we've gotten into unhealthy territory. Jesus made a point to welcome those whom others kept away. Let the children come. You know, he reached out to those that no one wanted anything to do with. And this is and will always be part of the DNA of Trilogy. Opening our arms up to any and everyone and that everyone feels welcomed and that everyone feels loved here at Trilogy. We always want that to be part of who we are, that we are known for this. So Jesus didn't keep people away, but he wasn't best friends. He wasn't super close with everyone. And we don't have to be either. Don't put that kind of pressure on yourself. Healthy relationships naturally gravitate towards some, but it doesn't exclude others. There's a difference there. You're going to have friends you're closer to. You share life experience. You share similar interests. You click better. You're just going to hang out with them more. That's normal. But we can't do it to the exclusion where we push other people away. That's the difference. You don't have to be best friends with everyone. That's unrealistic. That would be fake. You don't have to include everyone in everything you do. That would be impossible and incredibly stressful. But we need to be mindful of everyone. We need to have compassion towards everyone. We need to love, encourage, and be willing to help everyone around us to become all God designed them to be. Now, the final example of healthy relationships from the life of Jesus deals with a huge component of relationships, and that is conflict. Jesus didn't always agree with those closest to him. 
Jesus did not always agree with those closest to him. Jesus and his disciples disagreed often. And sometimes those disagreements got a little heated. There was frustration. There was even anger at times. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 16. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, You have so little faith. Why are you arguing with each other about having no bread? Don't you understand even yet? Don't you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves and the baskets of leftovers you picked up? Or the 4,000 I fed with seven loaves and the large baskets of leftovers you picked up? Why can't you understand that I'm not talking about bread? So again, I say, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So Jesus, who is perfect in every way, even his relationships, had conflict in his relationships. Now, admittedly, this was because his disciples were a little thick in the head and didn't always get it, but there was conflict there. Conflict that had to be worked through. And here's what you need to understand. Absence of conflict is not what we're after. Resolving conflict in a healthy way is. We don't want absence of conflict because then it's likely we're, none of us are being real with each other. What we want to do is be able to resolve conflict in a healthy way. Ephesians 4.32 Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Here's what you need to understand about this verse. This was written to the church at Ephesus. Okay? These were Christian folk. And there is a need to forgive one another. And if there's a need to forgive one another, there has to be something to forgive. There will always be something to forgive. And sometimes, I mean, conflict just happens, but sometimes we're supposed to introduce conflict into our relationships, especially with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be bringing conflict into our relationships. Now, wait, what? <laughs> Here's the thing. If we never have conflict in our relationships, we're not pushing hard enough. If we don't have conflict, we're not pushing each other hard enough. Real accountability where we're causing, helping one another to become all that God intends for us to be, requires you to push, requires you to dig, requires you to call them out. That's not always fun. It doesn't always feel good, and it can lead to short-term conflict. But it's the right thing to do. When Jesus told Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, do you think that led to a warm, fuzzy moment between Peter and Jesus? Or Peter and the rest of the disciples? Or the rest of the disciples and Jesus? No, on all counts, but it needed to be said. Proverbs 27, 6. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. You've heard me use this phrase before. It's one of my kind of personal catchphrases. Friends should never stab each other in the back. We should stab each other in the front. In other words, we need to be able to look one another in the eyes and say, this is going to hurt, but you need to hear it. It's not just a good idea. It's something the Bible commands us to do. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians 5.12. Paul said, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility, church people, followers of Jesus, to judge those inside the church who are sinning. Now, did you hear that? You, you hear all the time, don't judge me. Only God can judge me. Not according to Paul. If there is obvious things in your life that are not lining up with scripture, we are called to judge those actions. Don't judge their heart. Don't judge their motives. 
That's reserved for God. But point out their actions, their fruit. That's what friends do. Friends don't just accept. Friends don't turn a blind eye. Friends notice. Friends point out. Friends confront, not condemn. Friends confront. To point out an area of sin or weakness that can be fixed and walk through it with them. To give them an opportunity to make things right with God and with you. This is what friends do. And in the same way, if someone has offended you, give them the opportunity to make it right. Don't just walk away. Go back to them. Once again, this is not just a good idea. This is Bible, church. Matthew 5, if, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. It's more important to God than worship. We're told, put your worship on hold, go and fix your broken relationship. In another passage, Paul gives a whole teaching to the Corinthian church about their dysfunctional relationships and how they need to get it right. In fact, he told them that they weren't supposed to receive communion together until they had resolved their differences. We are not commanded to always agree. We're commanded to be in unity. We're not commanded to always agree. We're commanded to be in unity. Move in the same direction. Even if we're not moving in the same way, we need to be moving in the same direction. Why is unity important? Because it's different. It sets us apart. One of the final prayers Jesus prays before the cross is on this topic. In John 17, Jesus said, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you, that's me. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. When we are in unity, it is a sign that Jesus is who he said he was. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Guys, unity is not optional. Unity is commanded Unity was prayed for by Jesus on his way to the cross and he prayed for you and me right there. For all who would ever believe in me that we will live in unity with one another. That is absolutely non-negotiable. We are in unity together as we move forward down the path that God has laid ahead of us. We're a pretty friendly church. We've got great relationships, but it would be naive and even dangerous to assume that there isn't some conflict between people here at Trilogy. Why is it there? Because we're human. Because we're people. We're filled with insecurities. We're filled with pride. All sorts of junk that the Holy Spirit is still rooting out of us every day. Absence of conflict is not what we're after. Resolving conflict in a healthy way is. We're not commanded to always agree. We're commanded to be in unity. And sometimes that requires the hard conversations. Sometimes it even requires bringing somebody else along as an, as an independent third party to say, hey, I love you both. Let's see what we can do to work this out. Some of you need to go to someone else in the church and make things right. Some of you need to apologize. To stop digging your heels in, stubborn. You need to ask forgiveness. To offer forgiveness. 
Pray about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Then make it right. It's not just a good idea. It's Bible, church. This is who we are called to be. We're going to close with a communion mindset this morning. We're going to receive communion on the 21st at our next prayer gathering uh, on that Saturday morning. We can't pass out communion elements through the internet, but we are going to be receiving communion together as part of that prayer service. So I encourage you to make plans now to be with us. But today I want us to focus on that mindset because what is communion designed to do? It's designed to cause us to remember what Jesus has done for us, the sacrifice that he made for us. And it's also a time to examine our relationships. Communion reminds us of the unity that we are not just suggested, but commanded to have. Communion is about the sacrifice Jesus made for the world. Way bigger than you, way bigger than me, way bigger than us, way bigger than Trilogy. And the only way that mission is going to be accomplished is for us to lock arms, to move forward in unity, and change the world. To write new stories. Healthy relationships sets us up for exactly that. That's why it's one of the values that guides everything we do. Uh, healthy relationships leads to healthy community, which leads to unity. Healthy relationships leads to healthy community, which leads to unity. As we remember communion this morning, as we remember the sacrifice Jesus made for each one of us and for the church, we need to remember that the most important relationship that Jesus had uh, was with God the Father. And that was the foundation for every other relationship that he had. That's our foundation. Our relationship with Jesus is the foundation for every relationship that we have in this life. It's the foundation for our relationship with one another here at Trilogy. It's the foundation that we have to build everything on. And what Jesus has done for you, you need to now turn around and do that for the relationships that you have in your life. Lay down your life. Be sacrificial. Put self last. We talked about this uh, with regard to strong families last week. Self last is a great mindset to have in every relationship of our lives. And as we do that, we're gonna find that we work through conflict we're going to find that our relationships are healthy and strong and that unity that God brings is going to make a difference, not only in our lives, but in the world around us. Let's pray. God, thank you for our time together this morning. And God, for the relationships that you've given us with one another. God, I love our church. I love the people that make up Trilogy I love uh, the time that we get to hang out and spend together and do life and serve together and all that stuff. God, but sometimes there's conflict. Sometimes we don't get along the way we want to. Sometimes we struggle and say, hey, uh, why, why aren't I as close to them as I'd like to be? Or why is this person this way? Why, are they, why did they treat me that way? Or why did they say this? And God, I pray that when conflict arises, when we feel a certain way, God, let us resolve it in a biblical manner. God, when we notice behavior in somebody's life that doesn't line up with scripture, God, help us to love people enough to talk to them, to confront them in a biblical way, in a loving way, and say, hey, I noticed this. Is there anything I can do to help? Is there, is there anything I can be praying with you about? And God, as we do that, would you make our church stronger than it's ever been? Let our relationships be stronger than they've ever been? God, let our neighborhood groups be stronger than they've ever been, those pockets of support within the greater community. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to people right now that God, as they're hearing this prayer, they're going to say, I need to be a host home for a neighborhood group. 
or I need to be facilitating a neighborhood group. God, would you speak to people right now? Maybe they never thought that that was in their wheelhouse, never thought it was something they were supposed to do, but Holy Spirit, you are speaking to their hearts right now in this moment. And God, they're gonna respond to you with a resounding yes, I will. And God, I pray that you would bring those neighborhood groups uh, to fruition and God, let more and more people be able to take part uh, in, in these healthy pockets of community. And God, as we do that, as we continue to do all these things, God, let, us, let it drive us into unity as a church. God, that we can lock arms and move forward and we can take more ground than we've ever taken. We can see more lives being transformed, more new stories written than we've ever seen before because we are being the church moving forward in unity. We thank you, God, and we thank you for this value that you've given us of healthy relationships. Help us to live it out with you as the example. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.